0: At the end of last year, while driving my daughters to school, I was quite surprised to see a once thriving NG congregation in Linden had sold their building to a developer who promptly demolished the building and then built a new townhouse complex. I later read in the community paper that their member numbers dwindled so low and their tithings were so disastrous that the church building needed to be sold. The remaining faithful congregants joined another local church in a bid to strengthen their numbers. And this sadly is not isolated, for I know of many other churches within the Randberg environment area, which is for sale. And that got me wondering, what led to their decline in numbers? What did they do wrong, especially since The once-active church in Linden is situated within a mid-income neighborhood. And then about three weeks ago, on the 9th of January, Fox News released the results of a survey under the following headline, a third of Americans have quit church, as attendance fails to recover pre-pandemic numbers. The researchers noted that the pandemic resulted in an overall depression of religious participation but we all know that the steady decline started long before COVID. The faith-based research organization, the Barner Group, released pre-COVID studies that showed in every age category, weekly church attendance has actually dropped during the past 20 years. Yes, I am citing research from the USA, but local research actually paints the same picture. As my example, It seems to be a global phenomenon. And trends that might take years to materialize arrive almost overnight during times of crisis, such as what we've experienced with COVID. Like, for example, the widespread adoption now from working from home, or the deeper adoption from online shopping. And this also impacted certain churches. As months into the pandemic, people adopted new church attendance habits. Especially where churches were closed for lengthy periods, opting rather to host online services than risk gathering. And when they finally returned to in-person services, some members just continued to participate from home or others just stopped participating at all. I am, however, thankful to our God as Livingstone has not been experiencing this decline, praise God, because we are actually growing. And this is also the case for many of the churches within the reformed circles. COVID had in in fact produced growth. When a lot of the other churches were closed, people were looking for churches that were open. And our goal is that each one of you that is here might grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's not about numbers attending. It's by actual the growth of the people attending. Because our goal is that for you to become more like him. The digital age has certainly been a blessing because during COVID lockdown, for, had COVID come probably a few years earlier, we would not have been able to connect digitally or via Zoom or any one of the other online platforms. We therefore most certainly embrace technology because it enables those who are not able to physically join our service due to ill health, extreme weather, travel, or other constraints. But that should only be for a season. For attending only online can be no substitute for the actual gathering of the saints in physical form. Examples being the Lord's table that cannot be attended online. It requires physical attendance of the body of believers. Online attendance, however, becomes problematic when it is preferred above in-person gathering. Thus, when it is a matter of preference or convenience. Instead of encouraging these people to join the body of believers physically, Some denominations are now starting to create digital churches if there ever is such a thing in a church in a bid to accommodate those who want to remain home in the comfort of their homes and not join an actual body. They are just just spectating. We are again seeing some churches changing to accommodate the preferences of people. And then since nothing is truly original in existence, every idea has some sort of a precedent or echo from the past. Thus, we are reminded of the words of Ecclesiastes nine: that which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. So, some years ago, we saw the advent of the seeker-sensitive movement. A church growth movement that was more focused on attendance numbers than the actual maturing of Christians. The call was to accommodate the so-called seekers, those who were lost but seeking God to find meaning in their lives. So, amongst other things, not as not to create offense, the sinfulness of man was simply not preached on. Yet, Romans 3.11 tells us, there is no one that seeks after God, for it is God who calls the lost into life and hope, as clearly stated in 1 Corinthians 1.9. Yet, some churches decided to accommodate the seekers, and so these churches became locations where certain forms of religious entertainment were displayed for people in many cases just sat back and watched the show. Or the event take place very little and sometimes nothing was expected of those people except to give some money so that they can continue with the show and this of course fits our consumer culture today many churches wouldn't even ask people to serve they wouldn't ask people to get involved they wouldn't ask people to make a sacrifice because it would make them uncomfortable Thus, church becomes more preoccupied with meeting people's needs and to satisfy their wants, rather than caring for their souls. Subsequently, attending church became a kind of a spectator experience where you can go and watch what happens. Does that not sound familiar? Whether in person or online, for that matter. People become spectators. Those congregations are no longer fellowships, of those who are sacrificial, serving and caring for one another. They're not designed to equip people. Everyone is consumed with themselves. A church operating in this way does not understand God's design for the church, where each and every member functions. The church is called to be a fellowship of believers who selflessly and humbly serve one another sacrificially which includes discipling one another. Thus, the church should be a fellowship of people who are engaged in loving expression of ministry to one another. In John John 13, verse 34, we are commanded to love one another. And in verse 35, Jesus said, By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The New Testament is clear that this life together. So embo- uh, the, te- the New Testament, is clear that this life together embodies the one another's. It defines life in the church of that of as that of mutual care and mutual spiritual ministry. We read in the New Testament, of, uh, New Testament of spiritual gifts in 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12. All speak of the gifts that the, that the Lord has given to each and every Christian. With the aim to be practiced amongst those in the church for their spiritual benefit and edification. And this brings me to, to my point this morning. Biblically speaking, the church should be a place where people are built up as believers minister their spiritual gifts to one another. It is a mutual ministry that is to occur within the church. That, beloved, is each of you, for you matter. Your presence here matters. It matters to everyone. We are here, a body of believers in fellowship, each participating in serving in one another in his church. The title of my sermon this morning is a question, Are you a spectator or a participant? Are you a spectator or a participant? Our text this morning will be from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 16. Please turn turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. While you are find, um, finding your place, the book of Ephesians, authored by the Apostle Paul while imprisoned in Rome sometime between AD 60 and 62, was written as a letter to the church in Ephesus, which is located in, in modern day Turkey. The first three chapters are theological, whereas the last three chapters are actually practical and focus on Christian behavior. Our text in chapter 4 carries two themes the divine origin of Christian unity and the charge to build Christian unity within the church let us read Ephesians chapter 4 we'll actually start from verse 1 and read right up to verse 16 I will be reading from the LSB let us read therefore I the prisoner in the Lord exhort you to walk worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until all attain to the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, so that we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is their head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body. Being joined and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the properly measured work of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This is the reading of God's inerrant and authoritative word. Let us pray. Dear Father, our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we come to you this morning expectantly to hear your word may you speak to our hearts this morning may it bring change within us according to your will bless us strengthen us as we now consider your word please be with me as i deliver your holy word still us in your presence open our hearts and teach us from your word how you want us to live for the glory of jesus christ in his name we pray amen beloved We have just read one of the greatest passages in the New Testament on fellowship. It is foundational, clearly demonstrating how each and every person is to be engaged in serving one another. But for believers to be adequately engaged, they need to be equipped for the work of service. And that happens in the local church. It is clear in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. If the saints are to be equipped, they do the work of service. Now, in some some translations, it says the work of ministry. So, it can either be ministering to one another or serving one another. It is the spiritual service required of each and every Christian. Not just the church leaders, that means it's you and you and you. In fact, all of you who are saved here this morning, and, though this work of the ministry, and through this work of service or ministry, the body is built up. And in the building up of the body of Christ, we attain to Christ-likeness. And then the truth which we speak in love, is undergirded by our lives and it has a great impact for it puts christ on display thus every believer is called to mutual service to one another which is the very life of the church that is what is meant to be part of the body each one engaged not spectating we can never be just spectators for we are in unity we are part of a body let's first consider what it means to be in unity and be in a, in the body so starting from the beginning of this passage in verses 1 to 6 paul calls himself a prisoner of the lord meaning he has submitted himself to the lordship of christ for he was a prisoner of sin but he is now a prisoner of christ Paul is further exhorting us or imploring us to walk in a manner which is worthy of the calling of which we have been called. And when we walk in this way that is in the Spirit, we are to do it in all humility, gentleness, patience, and love. We are to be diligent in preserving the unity that has been produced by the Spirit of God. For this is the unity that is created through salvation. Paul continues in verse 4 to 6 where we are reminded of all that we have in common, being one body and one spirit, just as you were called to be in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. That is why Paul says we have the unity of the Spirit in verse 3 because we have the same Spirit. And it is the same Spirit who generated us, baptized us into the body, and indwells us, each of us. Our unity then is based upon the fact that we are all believers in Christ. We are, un- we are unique because we have one Spirit. He is the same in me as he is the same in you. We also become part of the body, as 1 Corinthians 12, 13 states, for also by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. And this is what the, this is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit means. By one Spirit we were all baptized into one body of Christ at the moment of salvation. That is, from the moment you received Christ, you were baptized into the Holy Spirit, or by the Holy Spirit, into the body of Christ. Part of what Paul is highlighting is that there is only one God, there is only one body to be part of, which is the church. Then there is only one way to enter that body, and that is through Christ. One baptism from the Spirit of God, who takes up residence in your heart, thus As believers, we have the same spirit, and we are in unity, and we have been placed into the church. This is why you can't be a spectator if you have been saved into the body. We we participate because we have been given a task. You might then ask, what task have we been given? Because each one of us has been given a precious gift. The moment you were saved, you have been given a precious spiritual gift. And what do you do with gifts? You use it. Isn't that the isn't that the point of a gift? It is there to be used. It's not there to be kept wrapped up in a in a box. We now get to our scripture to our scripture portion this morning. In Ephesians four, chapter seven, through two sixteen, the apostle Paul describes three reasons why you should use your gift to serve one another, so that the church will reach the unity of the faith, the full knowledge of the Son, and grow in Christ likeness, becoming mature. The first reason, you were given gifts at a great cost, and that will be verses seven to ten. Second reason. You are equipped for service, verses 11 to 13. And then growing in the body of love, verses verses 14 to 16. This first one again, you, you were given gifts at a great cost. You were equipped for service and growing the body in love. Our first point, you were given gifts at a great cost. Please join in me as I read from verses 7 to 10. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. So verse 7 starts with a but. There's a transition. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. As we have just considered, we are all part of one body. We are in unity. Okay, But now we will consider how each one of us has been graced with a unique gift that is measured out by Christ. So though we are in unity in one body, we are also diversified with each receiving a unique spiritual gift. And that simply means each one of us has a different gift. It is unique to you and it is special to you. And the, gift, the gifts were given to all believers. Okay? As we've just read in verse 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Every single believer has been given a gift to serve God within the local church. God sovereignty, sovereign, sovereignly determined what your gifting will be. It is, an able, it is an enablement for ministry to the body of Christ. So it is you ministering to each other. It is a grace gift. grace gift. It is not a gift that you have been born with. It was bestowed on you when you were saved. It is not a natural ability. It is a spiritual gift. It is a divinely given gift specifically for ministry to profit the whole body. It is unique to you and it is meant to contribute to the unity of the church and above all else to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ whom, given you, whom has given you that gift. Now note, we all have equal standing in grace. Equally precious to God. But we've been given different gifts. And each, each un- has a unique purpose for ministry. Romans 12 verses 4 to 6 says, also mentions on how God has measured out an allotment to every believer that is unique to that believer. Verse four, for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, verse five, so we, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And in the first part of verse six, but having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. In other words, God determines the measure of the gift by his grace, and he gives a portion of faith in order to work that gift. So you are enabled, you are enabled to work the gift that has been given to you. The portion of faith, the portion of grace is consistent with the expectation bound up in that gift. So there is an expe- ex- expectation, and that expectation is for you to use your spiritual gifts within the church in serving one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is a parallel passage I'll read from verse 4 to 7 Now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit and there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord and there are varieties of workings but the same God who works everything in everyone but to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for what is profitable So again we see it as a variety of gifts same spirit in each of us beloved god himself gave that gift to you it is a manifestation of the spirit and it is a free gift of grace and it comes with that portion of faith so that it can operate in fullness for the benefit of the church for our common good and therefore again You are placed within a body. We are in this body to minister to one another by using the spiritual gifting that has been given to us. For some they are given gifts of serving or helping, exhortation, teaching, giving, faith, leading and administration, spiritual discernment and acts of mercy. Now just as a side note, we will be working through each of these gifts during our membership classes, so those of you who have not yet joined, please join us this evening for our first membership class. It is one and the same spirit who works all these things, distributing to each individual as he was. However, if we compare Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, we find that different categories of gifts are mentioned, which means that they are not hard and fast gifts. The best way to understand it is that the gifting that there is is unique to each and every person. So each and every person has a unique gift. Now John MacArthur describes uh, it as if it's uh, it, it in these categories is all these categories are as colors on a palette and God dips his brush and then paints you with the mixture available on the palette. So each one has been painted with a different shade. It is therefore categories of giftedness broad categories of giftedness blended together into individual gifts and we are to use our gifts in service to one another and we should be motivated to use our gifts because of the source from where they came from but secondly because of the great cost at which they were provided and let's consider that cost When we look at verse 8, therefore it says, When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave gifts to men. One wonders at first why this portion had been included. But Paul is referencing Psalm 68 verse 18. You have ascended on high. You You have led captive your captives. You have received gifts among men now psalm 68 was composed by david as a as a victory hymn to celebrate god's conquest over the jebusite city of jerusalem and the triumphant ascent of god to jerusalem represented by the ark on mount zion in other words it is a picture of god's triumph custom was that after a king had won victory he would bring home the spoils and the prisoners displaying them in a triumphant parade through his city for all to come and see paul is therefore incorporating the wording of psalm 68 verse 18 to picture a triumphant christ returning from his battle on earth to the glory of the heavenly city and he's brought with him the trophies of his great triumph and his great victory at calvary thus referencing to his incarnation To his crucifixion and to his resurrection in which he conquered satan and death as indicated in colossians 2 verse 15 having disarmed the rulers and the authorities he made a public display of them having triumphed over them in him christ the triumphant conqueror distributed the spoils of his victory to his people, so he gave gifts to his people. Verses 9 and 10 therefore simply exposit the quotation in Psalm 68, verse 18 He descended into the lower parts, referring to the earth. He then ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he therefore triumphed, he therefore won the victory, he then dispersed to the church that which he has won. The gifts that are needed for believers to minister to one another so that the body can be built up. The gifts were given in victory, but at the expense of Christ. Beloved, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. And in that, he also died on the cross to enable you to serve him. We should, we should therefore earnestly strive to use our gifts to his glory. After speaking of the individual gifts given to Christian, Paul goes on in a universal sense in verse 11 that Christ also gave gifts to the body. We will now come to our second point, we are equipped to serve, and that will be verses 11 to 13, we are equipped to serve as we consider how each believer should participate to mutually grow in the unity of faith and maturing of the saints. Please join me in reading verses 11 to 13. And he himself gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. We see in verse 11, he being Christ, he gave to his church, some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. They listed sequentially. First, The, le- the first leaders of the church was the apostles, the 12, minus Judas, but plus Matthias, who replaced Judas, and then also including Paul. The office of the apostle was actually a very unique uh, office. Apostles had to be eyewitnesses of the risen Christ, and they had to be called specifically by the Lord Jesus. Now, even Paul had his calling from Christ on the Damascus Road. Then, the next generation of leaders to follow the apostles were the prophets, They were the ones that God gave revelation for the church. And sometimes they preached new revelation and sometimes they reiterated revelation that had already been given. So they were basically the first preachers. But their office ceased on the completion of the New Testament. Then following them, the Lord gave to the church some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Now, the evangelists and the pastor teachers were the remaining ongoing leaders of the church. So once the apostles and the prophets had passed away, their office did not continue onward. It ceased, as Ephesians 2.20 says, they were the foundation of the church. So in building terms, the foundation is the groundwork in order to support the rest of the structure. Thus, the initial phase of setting up a building. The foundation of the church was the apostles and the prophets. So when that foundation was laid, then they disappeared, in, and in their place came the evangelists and the teaching pastors. Okay, and that is permanent. Though pastor and teacher appears to be separated in the text, they actually refer to one office, which we now call or refer to as teaching pastors. So the church today is still led by those who are evangelists and the teaching pastors. The evangelists are the individuals who are passionately committed to the proclamation of the gospel. They become the missionary leaders. They become the trainers of others to evangelize. The teaching pastors, however, have the responsibility to nurture those who come to Christ and to build them up in faith. Thus, Christ also Christ also gave gifts to the body for, for the laying of the foundation of the church and for the building up of the body in Christ. As we now continue in verse 12, for verse 12 says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. So equipping basically means to supply something that is lacking. So the, that is the point of verses 11 and 12, is that Christ not only gave varied grace gifts to each believer in the church, but he also gave leaders to the church whose job it was to supply that what was lacking in believers. Basically, it means equipping the believers. And it starts with people becoming believers and receiving the grace according to the measure of Christ's gift in verse 7. Okay, then all these saints needed to avail themselves of leaders who equips who equips them in ministry but whom is that ministry for it is for all those same Saints who are ministering to the body of Christ you see this in the end of verse 12 for the equipping of the Saints for the work of service or ministry for the building up of the body of Christ so in spite of the fact that all the Saints are gifted within grace directly from Christ himself we all need the ministry of of the saints, to build up and to build us up. And not only that, we need the saint leaders to supply us in ways that help us to be ministering saints to one another. Why all this ministry? Well, verse 12 sums it up. It is for the building up of the body of Christ. That is how the body is being built up. So the goal of ministry is the building up of the body of Christ. This is our goal And this is our goal for the Every Member Ministry. But there's something else we need to notice here. It is not exactly the same as building up individuals. Yes, that is part of it for sure. For Paul says in Romans 15.2, each of us is to please his neighbor for the good of his building up. Building here is exactly the same Greek word which is called oikodomen. We are supposed to build. Each other up we're supposed to build each other up in faith and in hope and in love and in holiness but that's not what verse 12 is referring to here the ministry is aimed at building up the body of Christ what Paul wants to stress here is the aim of strengthening the whole not just the individual parts so the aim of your ministry as a Christian and you all have one is to build up the body as a whole and we do that only within the church within the local body that is why you have to be part of the body to be in the church physically amongst the the fellow brethren it cannot be done from home it cannot be done apart from church it is done within the body of believers gathering we may actually handle The word of truth is charged by 2 Timothy 2.15. God has therefore gifted the church with men to study the scripture and preach the gospel so that you can be equipped to do the will of God. We find the effect of it in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the full knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So the saints attain to unity of the faith. In other words, they come to hold the truth together. So we attain to the unity of faith in hearing the truth taught, leading to the full knowledge of the Son of God. And this refers to the deep knowledge of Christ that a believer comes to have through prayer, through faithfully studying God's word, and through sitting under the preaching of God's word and to be in obedience of his commands. Then, In the middle of verse 13, we see the phrase, until we attain to unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. Now listen how John Piper expounds this portion in verse 13. This is the aim of our ministry of building up the body, that the body attain to a mature man. Now that is not an individual. We ought to all be mature, but here Paul is referring to Christ as a mature man. The text phrase explains it, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The mature, complete, full man here is Christ. Paul pictures Christ as a mature man, full grown in stature. Then he says the church as the body of of this Then he sees the church as the body of this full-grown man, only the body is still in the process of being built. We are to minister to each other with a view, not just of helping each other mature, but with a view to the whole body attaining to the mature man. In other words, since we are the body of Christ, we should become mature as the body, the mature man. The mature of the stature in fullness uh, the measure of the stature of the fullness in Christ end quote, thus the goal is that people should come to a church, we should grow in the church so that as people come to the church, they see Christ. If there's anyone that we want to put on display in our church, it is Christ, it is him. For it is, it is his supernatural capability and the power of the Holy Spirit that brings you to truth, that equips you, that shapes you into an understanding of who Christ is, and then begins to make you look like Christ. And it, it happens as it works its way through your life and brings you to maturity. For God wants every believer to mature in the qualities of his son himself being the standard for our spiritual maturity and perfection we must therefore be we must therefore strive to be equipped in using our gifts in service of one another so that we become a body that christ a body of christ that is unified in faith and unified in knowledge and grows more and more into the kind of unified person that is Christ. And We now come to our final point, growing the body in love. And that is verses 14 to 16, growing the body in love. As we consider how each believer should participate to mutually grow the unity, in unity and faith and maturing of the saints. Please join me in reading from verses 14 to 16 in Ephesians chapter 4. So that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body being joined and held together by what every joint supplies according to the properly measured working of each individual part. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So look at the so that in verse 14. So that we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. The so that refers to what we have just discussed in the preceding verses. When the saints are equipped for service and the whole body is being built up in corporate likeness to the maturity of Christ, the effect is that the members of the body in that process become discerning, perceptive, and stable. They have all their faculties trained to see through the subtle manipul- manipulative language that is that's, that tricks people into affirming things that are not true or right. So, the reasons why saints minister to the body of Christ is so that every member would become more astute, more perceptive, more stable, and less gullible, and less thoughtless. But how do we minister to each other so that the body grows up into corporate likeness? Whole verse 15 says it. It says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is Who is the head even Christ the plain answer is how we grow in Christ how we become corporately like Christ and take on the measure of of the stature of the fullness of Christ is right here in the start of verse 15 and our text here renders speaking the truth in love but these words actually have a far deeper meaning in this instance Speaking the truth in love means truthing, which carries the idea of not only speaking the truth, but in actually doing it. It is living it. It is living the truth in your lives. We are not just doing it; we are living it. And this is how we are grow. And this is how we grow when there is truthing love in our lives. Therefore, our relationships should be marked by reality rather than pretense. Thus, living transparent and honest lives, which is marked by loving speech, loving speech to one another. Speaking to one another, and we do this by speaking to one another and encouraging one another to build relationships that is done at the bible studies as we, as we interact with each other at the bible studies, as we fellowship as we meet at the coffee stand and we start speaking to each other and we start getting to know each other we start sharing our lives with one another what it simply is is showing that our lives reflect that what we believe and that is because we are in a church family so it is about relationship with one another. A built-up, united, Christ-like, strong, mature body will live the truth in love before the world with a profound evangelistic effect. Verses 15 and 16 is simply saying we speak the truth in love. And then when we speak the truth about God and about Christ in love, but that love must be abounding in knowledge, and it must be abounding in discernment. Philippians 1.9 says that your love may, be, may abound still more and more in full knowledge and in all discernment. However, 1 Corinthians 8 says knowledge without love puffs up, but love without knowledge just integrates into sentimentality. So to be able to speak the truth in love is why you need to be in a church, why you need a pastor, why you need discipleship, why you need to participate in discipling others because we are to speak the truth in love to one another. So in summary, when gifted men do the work that God has called them to do in equipping the saints, the saints do the work of service using their individual gifts. What happens is we come to maturity We come towards Christ-likeness. We are not any longer led astray by deception and false doctrine, but rather we are categorized by the truth. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, being joined and held together by what every joint supplies according to the properly measured working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body For the building up of the body in love and if there was anything that Christ demonstrated on earth it was the love of God it was the love of God as he came to save sinners he redeemed unworthy enemies and if the church is to be known for anything it is to be known by its love we are to be built up in love loving one another But love only operates in a humble people, sacrificial people, and the church only grows into the fullness and the stature of Christ when believers in love use their spiritual gifts in ministry to one another. A message is therefore clear this morning. We need to be using our gifts in the church. And for that to happen, you need to be engaged. You don't want to be just a spectator. You don't want to just sit back. And watch this show you should be motivated by the source of the gift and you should be motivated by the cost at which you received the gift it was purchased by the death of christ and in his suffering and motivate and and we are to further motivated by the impact what that gift will have within the church in building up the body it is necessary for the building up of the body of Christ will we all come to the stature of fullness of Christ because every joint every individual part is doing what it is designed to do to build the body up in love and then Christ will be made visible and God's will will be fulfilled but I'm sure there's a burning question that has been in your hearts since verse 7 and that is how do I know what my spiritual gifting is well I can tell you this morning it is not difficult to to find you just you just get involved you just start serving you start serving anywhere you are drawn to and then if you see if God is blessing it and you find joy in doing it and people affirm it well then you know you've found your spiritual gifting if people come to you and they tell you brother I think you probably need to rather go and serve someplace else well then you know you still need to seek a bit but the point of it is it's by doing it's by starting to get involved by starting to serve and as you serve you discover how the Lord is working through you and how he is using you in the lives of other people it is how when is when you interact with people as well there's the gifting of encouragement there are such great people within this church that that encourage one another I just think of walking coming in here and and um, Sean, that greeting which, which you receive, I mean, it looks like you're the only person there when he, when he greets you. So start by getting, by getting involved. And if you can't find it, seek something else. But I can promise you, if you start seeking your gift by serving, you will find it. And as we discussed this morning, in the, life of the, the life of a church is a mutual commitment to see one another grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. And we all have a function. And that is why we have launched the Partners One-on-One Disciple Program amongst the members. Kevin spoke about it this morning in uh, in our equipped class. So a discipleship in the New Testament is simply a Christian. Discipling, therefore, is Christians, training Christians how to feel and act as a Christian. Helping each other to grow in maturity. Exactly what we discussed this morning, and it happens in so many ways in the New Testament. There are some examples, Titus 2.4, older women are to train younger women. 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul trained Timothy to train others, to train others. Ephesians 4.6, fathers are to train their children. Hebrews Hebrews 3.13, all Christians are to exhort each other every day to, to avoid sin and to stir each other up to love and good works. First, uh, First Peter 4, chapter 10, all Christians are to use their gifts to serve others. Every Christian should be helping unbelievers become believers by showing them Christ. That, yes, that is making disciples. But every Christian should be helping other believers grow in maturity and more maturity. That is also making disciples. And every Christian should be seeking to get help for themselves from others to keep growing that is being a disciple and i am so excited to see how the lord will be working within livingstone bible church within our partners one-on-one disciple program a discipleship program that we have that we have launched however if you sit here and you have confessed christ and you have become part of the body it is not because you have placed yourself in it it is because God miraculously and graciously and mercifully and lovingly extended an invitation to you. He not only broke your heart and gave you a new heart so that you can respond to faith and repentance. So, if you are part of the universal church today, it is not your own doing. It is God. And he has directed you to a local church church in which you are equipped for service within the local church. Therefore, if you have been attending Livingstone Bible Church and you've not yet become a member, I invite you to apply for membership. And what do I mean by member? It's simply somebody who says, I am committed to a people, a people who hear the word of God preached, a people who perform the ordinances that Jesus gave to the church, which is baptism and the Lord's Supper, and a people who commit to the one another commandments, which is love each other, exhort each other, and admonish each other, and hold each other accountable. Those are the commitments, what membership is. No, even though there is no sentence in the Bible that says there is some something such as church membership, it is implied in the nature of the in the nature of the church and of Christian discipleship that everybody should, by commitment, by some kind, put their name on a line, saying, "I am here," while I am in this place, and until God leads me otherwise. These are my people, and I am here committed to serve in love. In fact, we have our first membership meeting this, this evening. So those of you who have not signed up yet, you can still sign up and join us this evening at the cottage. It's here at the Livingstone Cottage where, where uh, Michael Ray lives as well. Um, but please do come tonight. Uh, Bruce will be teaching, so please speak to Bruce if you want to still join us tonight and next week it will be at, uh, at my house with Suleen and myself as well. But I, I, I implore you, if you have been attending the church and you have not yet become a member, please do consider becoming a member. Then, if you are here this morning and you realize that you have not confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord and believed in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you are not saved. If that is you, do not delay. Seek him while he may be found. Please speak to me or any of, the, any of the elders after the service, and there will also be people up in the prayer room tomorrow up the stairs after the service. Please go through. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for giving us something of yourself in every Christian year some special gift that only you can empower and Lord we know it is your grace we didn't earn it we certainly do not deserve it but Lord help us to be thankful enough to use our gifts to pray for each other to minister to each other and to be ministered on to and may we walk the walk in humility a walk of unity unified by your spirit help us to serve one another in truth And in love, in Jesus' name, Amen.